Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back with another rare daytime recording. It's still technically the morning where you are. Uh, just for a little while longer. Yeah, it is true. Just for just for a hair longer. And, you know, it's a just kind of sliding this one in in the midst of a workday for me as well. So uh, not evident to our listeners, but evident to you is the fact that I'm actually wearing a collared shirt, not my standard fare for podcast recording. Right. I feel like I feel very business casual. I'm very like, yeah, I feel underdressed. Like I need to I need to raise raise the bar over here a little bit i'll put on like a fake mustache or something that'll perfect yeah i mean work. but not a monocle that would be going too far no then i would feel underdressed right and then it's just an arms race of of a coat of arms a coat of arms a, co- a coat of arms a coat. Uh, with a herald holding your coat of arms behind <laughs> yeah. you you know and yes. then like who has the fancier uh herald it, you know it, it just goes there mm-hmm. next thing you know you have to have a retinue mm-hmm. yeah and a, and a litter yeah, and a litter yeah. Yes, those things are big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, here we are once again, coming in episode number 76 of the pod. Uh, you know, I feel like we're sort of in a, in sort of the next uh, next chapter of things in a way. You know, a lot of the big releases and big excitements are, are either underway or in the rear view. Uh, we've got, you know, baseball back. It's you know, days are getting longer. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I sometime in the near future, we're going to have to uh, take a take a moment to look at some anticipated releases for this year to see yeah. what we might be getting excited about. Because I don't know about you, I haven't really done that yet. Like, I know there will be games coming out this year. I, I I'm not sure exactly what they are. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few, but I, I think uh, yeah, going through with a more concerted kind of list there would be would be a good call. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, like, I'll see things on on Rock Paper Shotgun, but oftentimes I don't even know is that coming out this year or is that something to just be looking forward to that's in early development. Uh, you know, I I'm not uh, always very good at following up on those particular details. So yeah, hey. that was me uh, keeping Pablo from trying to eat the microphone cable. <laughs> yes, tasty no, no. forbidden spaghetti. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I understand you've been playing a bit more Elden Ring. I figure that's I probably a good place to start. Indeed. Yeah, if we're going to just uh, uh, jump into it. Yeah, it's uh, once again time for Elden Rung. Maybe. Elden Rungs? <laughs> Elden Rungs. There are multiple rungs where Moses climbs up and sometimes back down the ladder of gameplay and lore and beauty in Elden Ring. And you are doing it. I will say beauty, uh, th- this was a, a mixture of, uh, of beauty and, and beast this week for my Elden Runging. Elden Runging? That's terrible. My Elden Ringing? Elden it's Rang. not like there are, Elden Rang. It's not like there are bells in this one. I mean, well, there are, but not that kind. Um, True. They're not awakening anything. Uh, they are themselves awake, though. The... Yo, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see here. Uh, when last we left off, um, I was up in uh, oh the land of the giants up there, mm-hmm. and I th- think I had mentioned getting to Castle Saul, but maybe not. Yeah, well, we spoke about that last night, but no, you hadn't. Yeah, okay, not on the pod. So yeah, uh, yeah um, you know, I'd gone back through uh, to 
that nasty boss who's kind of uh gatekeeping uh into that that region um shadow something something <laughs> i think i saw you go up against him or, or yeah him for the first time. yeah you yeah. you did see me go up against that one for the first time came back through and cleaned that up at some point uh was exploring up there um found some earth tree guardian that splits itself into two and i thought that might be where the mimic tier was going to come from um but as i discovered last night that is not the case uh but made my way up to castle saul um and without too much uh ado managed to uh clear the way uh and drop the elevator down so i could get to boss commander neil yes uh fuck that guy in particular oh. um you know i've come back to him twice since getting to him and it's just like no i'm still not i'm still not ready for this this is a a brutal fight he has those two guards and they hit as hard as he does basically at least in phase yeah. one it's bonkers. It, I think it wasn't until like the fourth time I came back and was like, okay, now I'm ready. I was wrong, you know, two other times, but yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this was, I've gone back there really only once after substantive progress. Like I loaded it back up and was like, I don't know, maybe I just was not feeling sharp. <laughs> like, no, that's nothing to do with how sharp I am. I can't remotely absorb this damage or dish out enough to compensate for it for you know being able to keep moving so it's like okay that's cool let me go find something else to do um and i decided you know uh i wanted to explore the quest line to burn everything to the ground mm -hmm. um and uh was like hey maybe i'll go i know i need to bring some item to the uh the dung eater um yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'm just going to look this one up and see what the item is because I, I, I obviously don't have it. The dialogue option doesn't appear for me when I go there. Um, and accidentally discovered that the uh, Lendell sewers um, are accessible without that item. I thought you needed the item to get into the sewers, but I think it's more along the lines of there's a part of the sewers that you will need to get to after that. So I was like, okay, screw it. Let's go explore the sewers because I need a challenge. This should be challenging. Um, but I need something that's like in reach for me. Um, and so I found the subterranean shunning grounds, which like, that is some from soft ass naming of some shit right there. It is. And, and before being reminded of the name, uh, you know, last episode, I described it as, you know, the most, or one of the most hostile areas in the game and the name, it lives up to its name. It you does live up to its name. Shunned. It is subterranean. There is ground. It is very hostile. There are those little fuckers that jump out at you. Um, little, little like kind of guys, thief like they're kind of uh, gargoyle looking things that I yeah. encountered uh, once previously in a, in a dungeon somewhere. Um, and they're nasty. And um, you know, I think I uh, I mentioned to you the other day there are elements of the subterranean shunning grounds that are very much an homage to previous dungeon and level design stuff and other from soft games mm -hmm. so on the one hand uh there is the fact that it's sewery and mucky um and it has a very blight town vibe when you're like trying to traverse these weird things and you don't know which direction to go and you can get lost pretty easily um also like blight town but worse uh is the ogres um because they absolutely wreck you and spit some kind of horrible filth at you as well that poisons you. Um, but they just deliver like a stunning amount of damage. You can take them down, but it takes like a lot of work. You're better off avoiding them for the most it part. It takes work and a lot of concentration and patience. Like 
you just can't muck your way through with those guys. You have to focus and, and be diligent or they them, will yeah. they will easily destroy you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there is a depths-esque moment where you see a rat go running down a hallway. And if you run right after it, you will fall down into an area that you don't necessarily want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also a rat popping out of a box. So like a whole bunch of original Dark Souls 5 going on there. And there is this one area that um, is not where you ultimately need to go, but you kind of need to traverse it in order to open up a, a shortcut that you need. Uh, that really reminds me of the prison in Bloodborne. Where it's like that big, you know, the place you get abducted to by the guy yeah. with the giant sack. Yeah. Um, just the the general layout and vibe of it. So, like, for all of that, it's a totally original dungeon and really cool. It's one of my favorite bits in Bloodborne. It certainly wasn't the first time I played it, but you're taking, it's a Yargul Unseen Village. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Unseen Village, Yargul. It yeah. has uh, diegetic music, which... Oh, yeah it's unusual for there to be music and you don't necessarily interpret it as diegetic. Uh, well, even for years, uh, if you're me, but right. then eventually like you read something like, Oh yeah, no, that's like the chorus singing and trying to birth this fucking abomination into existence, you know? Fantastic. Something that they definitely bring into Elden Ring. Um, and I'll get to that shortly. Um, so I made it, I did in fact, like in, in two days, uh, it was not, uh, particularly laborious, which is definitely like bolstering again, my sense that like, yeah, I've got the right competencies for the style of game. Like be patient, keep track of where you're going, figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's complicated, but it's not impossible. It, I don't have it in memory. It's complicated enough that there's no way I could like, you know, magically start at the back of that uh back at the start of that dungeon and know exactly where to go i had to do a lot of feeling it out but it wasn't that bad it's like okay let me try this oh hey okay there is a shortcut awesome uh which eventually got me down to uh the bottom where you have mog the omen Mm -hmm. um and that fight gave me a little trouble um actually that fight gave me a fair amount of trouble to the point where i was like okay no screw this i'm coming back to you as well um mog the omen is um apparently like a shadow or illusion version of the true mog or moog i don't know if it's mog or moog i believe it's it's moog moog yeah so moog um who incidentally i uh have in fact found the general vicinity of 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 his habitation Mm -hmm. um because i i don't know what the heck led me to this but I was kind of scanning the map, looking for somewhere else to go to try and uh, uh, level up my spirit ashes and being like, okay, you know, um, I'm going to need some some glove wart. And there have to be some dungeons I, I haven't explored yet that mm-hmm. I can find some more glove wart. And then I'm like panning across the map and I'm like, hey, what's that red thing there? Oh, it's called Starfall Crater. Ah, okay. That's what happened after the dawn fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which led me to, so, you know, the Shining Grounds are, like, brutal and ugly. Um, whereas, by contrast, Starfall Crater basically takes you back to the uh, Syofrian River Valley, mm-hmm. um, only up above it. Mm-hmm. It's such a great move. You get this fantastic descent with some actually fairly manageable platforming, like it doesn't feel awkward. I was going to say, I l- absolutely loved traversing down that crater. That was Down so the cool. crater. It was really yeah. cool. It was really cool. And then, like, you see... 
I wish I didn't have the, um, you know, the online on sometimes because it's like, I would have seen the pale, like, oh, there's light over there and kind of an arch without the fact that somebody had left a note there that undoubtedly said here or something. I didn't mm-hmm. bother reading it. I tend to not read them. Um, but uh, can I ask uh, what what of the online functions do you utilize? I've been invaded, but not recently. And that's I mean, obviously, it's fun being invaded. It uh, is fun being invaded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's Let's, it like okay. honestly i think it spices up the game a lot when you get invaded but yeah. um but it hasn't happened recently so i don't know if maybe there's something and that is the one thing that i would if i could pick and choose i would certainly turn that on like i i don't like the fact that i don't get invaded but the visual clutter of all the messages everywhere just i just yeah. can't get past it personally. and it's worse in some places than others for sure yeah. and in a place like that it's unfortunate because like it's not an impossible uh, or even that difficult traverse to figure out what directions you're supposed to go if you're familiar. I mean, again, if the subterranean shunning grounds don't give you too much trouble in terms of figuring out where to go, then certainly traversing this crater is not going to be a huge problem. Yeah. Um, but it's just um, a gorgeous environment down there once you get into Nokron, the Eternal City. Yeah. Um, and definitely I was like slightly overleveled um or at level or over level for uh for the mobs that are down there mm-hmm. uh but that made it um really quite enjoyable to kind of coast through yeah uh and um kind of work work through the area um you encounter a mimic tier which um is like such a cool fight yeah um it i almost felt like it should have been tougher and maybe i was getting there too late in the game because theoretically you could go there like right after we're done and it would probably be pretty hard at that point in the game okay so it is at a fixed level even though it mimics your self i don't know okay i mean the one that you summon obviously uh once you acquire the the mimic your ashes mm-hmm. um is uh obviously scalable i don't know exactly how it's scaling but there's no point in scaling it if it if it weren't scalable yeah um that was like the most pointless sentence i've probably ever said on the podcast <laughs> Might be tough competition, but that was pretty bad. <laughs> um, but uh, but the fight seemed way too easy for something that theoretically is my shadow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still cool because I was not expecting it at all, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, oh, fuck, it's it's a shadow me. Um, and then those, uh, I like how in that environment, the uh, blobby mobs that are like the slimes um, from from regular dungeons are not always that, that some of them wind up actually being mimics. Mm-hmm. And then there's one of them that's kind of at the end of a path where um, it immediately spreads out and becomes a giant hole and then a giant mimic like pops out of it. And that was a cool surprise that like had me on edge for a minute. Like I was able to handle it, but it was like, oh shit, oh God, what, what have I done? Mm-hmm. I'm carrying a whole lot of fucking souls right now. Don't die, don't die. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so it was really fun environment. I did, uh, you know, light the second set of torches up there to access the, uh, more advanced incarnation of the, um, uh, nature spirit deer boss. Yeah. That's a cool fight. Very cool fight. I did die a few times. I was carrying a bunch. I, you know, I had not quite a level. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I took down the first one. Okay. With this, I should surely be able to do, do this one. So it was edgy. I, it took like four or five attempts uh, for me to kind of just dial it in. And it was like, Mm -hmm. priority one, make sure that you get those souls. (laughs) That's like way too many souls to leave on the ground. 
Um, so after that, uh, you know, I had the mimic ashes, I had some levels on me. So I went back and, uh, pretty much just destroyed Mogi Omen. Just like, yep. Yeah, okay. You're, you're done. It was not like a super easy fight, but oh my God, so much easier. So the combination of having a few levels, um, including being able to actually level up uh, my weapon, um, it's definitely, definitely a big deal. Uh, the other thing that's actually notable gameplay wise that I'm doing right now is that um, I'm only carrying two weapons in the main hand and swapping between them for load because um, I leveled up the hounds, whatever the heck it's called. It's a very large curved sword. Okay. Um, and its special attack uses a very small amount of mana and it is a quick slash and jump backwards. Okay. So it's really good at, I, I mean, I remember how badly he screwed me up the first time I, uh, came to his hyper jail or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and how that attack really screwed up my targeting, but it equally is pretty good at screwing up the targeting of, uh, of bosses actually. Like it's a relatively quick animation to wind up and then you're immediately repositioned and you're not where they, where they thought you were going to be in terms of like whatever they were trying to execute. So mm -hmm. um, it's been a, a kind of a really effective way to alternate just between uh, two handing those two weapons and it's regular attack has a slightly longer wind up than my scimitar, but delivers substantially more damage. So mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like pretending to be a heavier build just a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds sounds dynamic, like you've got some options. Yeah, it is. And it's been good. It's been good. And, you know, um, just really continuing to enjoy the Elden Ring. I know there's a whole fucking ton of lore bits that have emerged uh, through this last pass of play that I've done that I like I'm not even hunting them down right now. Yeah. But there's obviously some big implications for a lot of the stuff that I've come across. Um, so. One thing, though, is that I you know uh kind of accidentally that moog is actually lord of blood and that the lord of blood is one of the three remaining shard bearers mm -hmm. um seeing as ronnie has given up her shard at least according to what's his name um and i plan on going back and uh chatting with ronnie who i'm guessing is probably uh back at her rise now by this point of the game narratively it would make sense um for for where i'm at so what happened after you beat moog uh nothing nothing there's nothing i mean i didn't get anything special i was told that i had defeated a whatever it is great enemy or whatever the okay so there was no additional you know path uh, after him in the uh in the sewers yeah in the shining grounds yeah i maybe need to go back just and check and i'm not i'm not it i have no knowledge or recollection i just yeah, maybe I might have to go back and check. check. I wasn't really looking for it because I was like, all right, got to go spend these souls. Just took down a boss. Because I mean, like the th three fingers you've heard. Yes. Are down there. Yes. Yeah. But my understanding is that I'm going to have to go back to the dung eater in order to get to oh, that that's probably right. area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it may well be that there's something there that I can't access yet. And this is one where I'm just going to go read up on the guide and figure out what I like just for the what do I need to get? to bring to him mm -hmm. and then i know that whatever i do from there is back in the sewers i'll go and wander around and unless i get to like i've spent two hours and i can't find shit then uh you know then i might look it up but yeah figure out what i'm missing that i need to bring uh bring, bring back to the dung eater 
uh, so that I can keep that path open as an option. Have you looked in the dung eaters sort of quarters in the there's round a lot world? of there's a lot of bodies. But have you been there recently? Is like is he still there? He's still there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's still there. He still won't talk to me. Although not since beating Mo. So yeah. you know, um, that was from before I had. It was from once I'd gotten up to uh, to the Giants, but had not, um, you know, done anything else. Had not beaten anything else. So, yeah. And then, needless to say, um, I'm going to be heading back to Nocron. Uh, there's um, one of those ghost figures that's out there um, talking to the Lord of Blood, mm-hmm. like saying, please accept me or whatever. So it's like, excuse me. Um, we already have the high sign. Um from back at the hold that he's one of the shard bearers anyway. So I know that he's one of the three shard bearers and good old what's his name is promising me something. If I will share with him the information I can find about the remaining shard bearers. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Elden Ring is continuing to give to me. Uh, now that I kind of finally got past that hurdle, I'm feeling, feeling good about my continued process progress. Um, you know, I did go back once with the mimic tier to boss commander Neil and was like, nope, that alone is not sufficient. I need better armor, more damage, something, some somethings. Upgrading um, the mimic tier, no doubt. Yeah, I've upgraded it a fair amount. I okay. immediately like upgraded it as far as I could, basically. Yeah. Um oh yeah, and then I found the ball bearing for mm-hmm. um uh being able to purchase um uh, glove wart. Okay. Although I'm not sure if it's letting me purchase the kind of glove wart for the regular no. ones. It's only for the uh, fancy ones. Yeah, I think I think so. Uh, that's not very useful to me. I don't have any other fancy ones to start upgrading. So, um, but uh, so I'm gonna. St- I still need to go out because, like, yeah, the mimic tier is great. I still want diversity in terms of my spirit ashes uh, to be able to try different strategies. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, Got to go farm some more gra- grave glove wart somewhere, yeah, or multiple somewheres. Um, just I don't know. It's got to drop off of something, even if the drop rate isn't great. There's no way that it doesn't drop off of something. I think it might only be in the dungeons, and there are plenty of dungeons, right? But it doesn't you know. respawn, so it's not like you can go back and farm it out that way. Once you've emptied a dungeon of grave glove wart, it's gone, right? <laughs> you so know, there will be a there will be a point eventually, but like. I was able to comfortably upgrade, you know, any of my spirit ashes that I, I needed to. Yeah. And basically hand. I need to track down a bunch more dungeons to especially like I'm stalled out at like like one of them, yeah, he's at level seven or something. But the ones that I want to kind of bring up even just to that level, I need like mm-hmm. three, four, you know? Like, oh God. It's yeah. the one it is like, well, not the one. There are a few hassles about this game. Um that get into the open world critique that you and I have talked about previously. This is definitely, definitely kind of tied to that. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're back in it. I mean, yeah, you're, you're on course. You're, you're blazing a path at this point. So. Yeah. I mean, I do definitely, I had that moment with the mimic here, bringing that in, into the, uh, the, the Moog, the Omen fight and being like, okay, I see Paul's like critique here. Mm-hmm. It, it is viable critique, but for where I'm at with Elden Ring, I want to push through the rest of the game efficiently and get it done yeah. <laughs> and put it in the rear view and be able to like kind of think about it. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I did. 
So, yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not feeling like bad about it or anything, but I mean, towards your commentary previously about spirit ashes, there is clearly a big difference between using, uh, using that one versus using lower, uh, less powerful types of spirit ashes to deal with a fight. Like it, it's, to me, it's not just a binary of like trying to do a run sand spirit ashes, which I totally respect that that's your intention right now. Um, but like saying like, no, I'm going to only limit myself to X or Y spirit ash. Yeah, there, I guess there could be an, an argument for that, uh, potentially. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I guess to me, it's like, am I going to have 40 seconds worth of time to hit the boss's ass or only 20 seconds? Like that's, or, or maybe is this thing going to heal me a little bit or try and poison the boss? Like. Yeah. Right. I think that's my point is that some yeah. of them, it's like, it's going to buy you 10 seconds before like that boss is going to move across the room and just mm -hmm. it's down and it's yeah. done, especially if it's not getting back up. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so like what that gives you in terms of just inching out a little bit of stage one boss health, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's not such a big deal. It doesn't change the game as dramatically as having something that's up for half a minute. <laughs> like, keeping the boss switching between you and it and engaged or, you know, consistently being able to drop poison on it so that even after it goes down, it's taking away at that boss's health bar. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I look forward to more, uh, more spectating. Uh, and cause I remember I watched you beat Ornstein and Smoke for the first time spectating. And so I definitely want a few more. Yeah. Of those. No doubt. They're moments. They yeah. are cool moments. I mean, I'll tell you, I was honestly like, after uh, you were spectating last time when I, you know, got um, got through the city, I was hesitant to jump back in because I was like, I don't know. I kind of want to share this experience with you. But uh, yeah. there's enough of just kind of scut work to do in the game mm -hmm. that are not like the big moments. But uh, I will tell you that if I get to a, a major boss, I may put it on pause until we can find a time. Yeah, definitely. So. Cool. Uh, well, for me this week, um, it's been mostly Yakuza Zero that I've been into. Um, it was the first Yakuza game I played, sort of by their design, because it is a prequel. Uh, takes place in, I uh, believe, the early 80s, mid 80s, in the city of Kamurocho, and then eventually Sotenbori as well. Um, and I, I enjoyed it when I first picked it up and then it felt like halfway through the game, but now that I'm seeing it, it's really only maybe a third, but it switches you to a different playable character in a different city. And that was when I lost interest. Uh, but now I've come to expect and, and enjoy uh, that from the Yakuza games. So now, you know, I, I'm still sort of hit the ground running with it. Um, but you know, I've spoken a lot about the Yakuza games and, uh, you know, your ability to be the kindest, most gentlest soul and help someone down in their luck. And then the next th thing, you are smashing a motorcycle over someone's head and the combat is just, it, it's a little <laughs> rote and repetitive, but it does expand as you play. But the the sheer brutality of the punches and the kicks and when you pick up a pot and smash it over someone's head, like the game just like chunks it out in this way and, and really like emphasizes this 
violence. And usually it's like some scumbag who was trying to shake somebody down or, you know, you are firmly on the side of like good, but in sort of this gray sort of zone. Um, but uh, yeah, it just keeps me coming back and it's such a fun, you know, now that I'm really familiar with the games to see like Camarocho in this state, you know, uh, back, you know, 40 years ago or whatever yeah. um, is, is pretty cool. Uh, and seeing young, young Kiryu and now they're making, like, I thought his story was done, but I'm glad it isn't, uh, cause they are making like a dragon Gaiden, which is a, uh, a side story that shows what happened to Kiryu in the more recent, uh, recent years of things after he sort of retired. Oh, cool. Uh, and so you get to be, get, get to be him again. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that one and then uh, I'll probably get back into judgment as well but i just kind of was looking for the more classic yakuza kind of kind of feel so are you uh wh where would you say you are uh in terms of through the game yeah through the game yeah. uh, i would say maybe a <laughs> third you're like i'm in wisconsin moses what are you trying to ask <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> nice nice so it sounds like it's still got a still got a lot to give in terms of uh this uh kind of um uh quasi nostalgia um yeah playthrough yeah and I'm finding the mini games. There's like slot car racing, and now your other character is like the owner of this cabaret. And I think there's a whole cabaret club management uh, nice. of course built into it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's just a wacky, kind of lighthearted, for the most part, uh, uh, fun. That's rad. That sounds really excellent. Yeah. So yeah, I've gotten into just a little bit of other stuff apart from a topic we'll come to later in the pod. I um, have gotten to chapter two in Chicken Police. There are four chapters. I had to look that up. After I got to chapter two, I was like, all right, I want to know how many chapters there are in this. Mm -hmm. uh, Chicken Police is very entertaining, and I'm not going to say too much more about it today. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously there's been some Apex. I wrapped up uh, the, the Battle Pass season. But the one thing that was the worthy shout out for me from Apex in the last week was that it finally happened where I was the carry, <laughs> like where I had two total scrubs who were like maybe putting up 100 damage in the match. And I'll just say this, you know, they both went down in a stupid fight that they shouldn't have been in, but <laughs> I'm playing the game to its heart. I could have, you know, probably placed second or third in that match if I just left them behind um, because we wound up in like five or six. Right. Um, but like, what's the point of soloing it to just get mowed down by a full squad um, in like, you know, a couple of minutes later, it was like, no, screw it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to, you know, try and grab your tags and I'm probably going to die. And I died, but you know what? Totally worth it. Good to play the game to uh, kind of the spirit of it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. and um and granted there are other situations like when people are dying outside of the ring and it's a late ring and the ring kills you really fucking fast mm -hmm. that i have been like nope i'm sorry i'm not going to try and go back to you because it's not a chance of death it's just certain death yeah like from a sheer game mechanic damage dealing standpoint you are going to die so it's just not worth it yeah. and they're like back they're pinging their banners and i'm like it's like ring three <laughs> this thing kills you really fast and the fact that you're fighting in it is why you're dead back there and why i'm not but uh, no, this was not that situation. It was just like, you know, I'm going to try and do the best that I can socially in this game space to make people feel like welcome and like they can learn more. Because, yeah. hey, 
people don't always make it easy for you. It's been a hard climb for me to just get to being quasi decent. And uh, so that's all I got to say about other gaming this week, um, especially because of just how much time I've been spending on Elden Ring. Yeah. Cool. Well, with that, I believe we'll head to the next feature of the show. It is time for Game Ranks. Rank it up, Moses. Yeah, Paul. So, um, you know, I'm in a weird space in terms of ranks. I think maybe you are a little bit as well of trying to, like, figure out what to punch into different spots of games that are that I have that are unranked. And, of course, I keep occasionally coming across something that I have not ranked um, or even had on my unranked list. Uh, but for me, I'm going to put in my number 70 spot, 73rd ranked game, uh, the original Left 4 Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think, you know, I was I was just kind of reviewing some of the various games. So, you know, 2008 release um, for me, Left 4 Dead was a deeper play experience than Left 4 Dead 2. I played more of it with people. Uh, you know, this is back in that GLS Games Lab space so that we'd be like co-oping it in physically in the same room you don't need to be on mic so you're shouting across the room to each other and stuff yeah um which made it a really great experience we did play some left for dead 2 that way too but i just didn't do as much of it um and you know left for dead hit a real special spot nobody had done a game quite like this when it came out like yeah. and there are a couple of of ways in which i mean that on the one hand uh the style of four player zombie survival uh just no games like this have been done since right um that are literally now like kind of thought of as the style of four-player co-op survival yeah um you know deep rock galactic immediately comes to mind uh so that was really novel the original one didn't have the differentiation between the characters which i actually liked you all started with the same basic loadout and um kind of simple weapon options when you're playing in the standard kind of co-op mode mm -hmm. um and then it had these uh, really novel um, enemies as well, right? Um, it also had the, the function where when you went down, uh, you weren't necessarily like down and out the way that you often are in, uh, you know, in shooters in general, where it's like at best you might get revived. Like you had the ability to still do a little bit uh, mm -hmm. when you were down in that game. Um but, you know, the original five uh, enemies, the boomer, the hunter, the smoker, the tank and the witch, it's just a really good set. And as far as like co-op games, I think this is the only co-op game I can ever remember playing where there was something that was at all scary. Hmm. Um, and that specifically being the witch. Right. Like the first time that you encounter the witch, it's actually like jump scare worthy, spooky, like oh fuck you know um so all of that of course and then on top of that the other call out i obviously got to make about this game that really sets it apart in that moment is the way they manage the versus game as well hmm. um in terms of pitting you uh you know how pitting you as zombies uh against survivors mm -hmm. um alternating which uh you know which role you're playing and then having the opportunity to be the bad guys uh, who are more disposable, uh, but then occasionally, you know, you get the the cycle of which one you're going to um, kind of incarnate as after they take you down, because mm -hmm. it is, of course, very asymmetric. You're not supposed to just one-on-one um, -on -one and survive with your zombie to be able to take down the other players. You're, you're spo it's supposed to be attrition just like the co-op game is. And, like, that was a great design choice, and it made for so much fun play. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... 
being the smoker the first time that you get the opportunity to use that horrific long tongue. <laughs> That's right. Fucking cool experience, you know? Yeah. Um, or the first time that you uh, that you spawn as a tank and you're like, oh, that's right. I am now going to come in here and I'm going to seriously fuck shit up because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the first time I played it was with that crew, like the with that crew probably. Yeah, crew in that space and uh, pretty unique game. I mean, like you said, there's sort of a dime a dozen now, but. Uh, it's even sort of hard to conceptualize that that was sort of the first time we had seen a game quite like that. Cause like, really, it took us this long. Absolutely. Kind of Absolutely. Get, get here. Um, and then I don't know how much games do this. Uh, you know, I, I imagine some still do, but it's under the hood, but the whole AI director that oh, reads yeah. your progress, reads how you're doing and then adjusts the horde, the zombies accordingly. I think that this might have been one of the first games where it existed. I mean, I think it was the first game where where at least they touted it as like, this is a main selling point. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. A big deal. Okay. So Wikipedia tells me that a far simpler version of it was used for some key battles in episode two. Okay. So that actually makes sense thinking about Half-Life and why certain parts of it were especially hairy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that makes sense. So they kind of like tested it out a little bit in a limited capacity. And knowing Valve, I, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if a big part of the origin of Left 4 Dead was developers being like, hey, what if we take this tool that we made for for episode two and we like really build a game around it? Mm -hmm. So um, who knows? There's probably some postmortem out there somewhere where they actually talk about this. But uh, but yeah, no, that's a really really important call out um it was a huge jump forward and yeah there's obviously many games now that use some variant of this uh type of procedurality so mm -hmm. nice and what did you say the the number is where it's coming in oh i'm ranking it at number 70 as my 73rd rank okay uh so right after arkanoid nice yeah good stuff man and they're making a new uh well no the, i think it maybe came out but it was kind of fell flat some sort of new uh, back for uh, blood well there's back for blood but there's even a newer one that maybe is in development uh we'll, we'll have to have to look into that um back but... for blood kind of fell a little flat yeah. um although talking to some friends about it, it felt like there was a little bit of unrealistic critique of it going on mm. one of those like well what did you expect this should yeah. have met your expectations but you somehow expected it to be more yeah it can't be left for dead uh, for the first time again like that or especially yeah. left for dead 2 which i know a lot of people really especially praise left for dead 2 mm -hmm. um i didn't play it as much uh and i actually like i said i kind of liked the um uniformity of the uh of the player loadout aspect of the original yeah nice uh well for me this week coming in all the way up at number 50 Ooh. is sekiro shadows die twice Nice, nice. Well, no wonder that's going to break your top fifty. Yeah, kind of making a making a pass here after like putting Tunic in and being like, you know, what other games have I beaten and I've just been kind of sitting on, and I'm like, there's no way Sekiro is, you know, not uh, somewhere up there uh, fairly high. Um, and I mean, you know, we've spoken about it a, a bit, but uh, what a game! Like. You know, talking about like Bloodborne, where every single fight is is 
just inherently fun mm -hmm. that was Sekiro as well um and the way they did the the sword play with the deflections and uh you know it feels like a cinematic version at least of uh what you'd expect a, a sword fight to be like back and forth like cling clang cling clang and the the audio design and the visual design really do a great job of cluing you in as to sort of what what sort of blow was this was this him deflecting you you deflecting him was this someone just blocking and hmm. so there is this very readable sort of cadence to it um and you know talking about parries uh, i think a couple episodes ago I, i've always wanted to be good at parrying in dark souls but just the timing of it like you have to do the parry like a half second before their attack's gonna land but with sekiro you just tap it as they attack and there's this uh he's a, a centipede boss and he has the coolest name which i'm i now realize i have to look up um because <laughs> it is uh oh it's just called long arm centipede oh, and there, are, there are a few different ones but they have these uh wolverine style whatever the weapons are that you hold that have the big claws um, oh sure and they would attack super fast so you would just have to tap 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 and ting 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 and you're able to like deflect each each attack as it comes in which is like i love it when a game gives you the ability to be empowered that way mm -hmm. like no you don't have to have that level of twitch capability it makes you feel that fast without it being so demanding as to be almost inhuman to be that fast mm -hmm. yeah um and you know it was from uh expanding what a souls like could be uh, by sort of focusing uh the some of the design you know you can't level your way out of a situation you have to just keep getting getting good uh right, right. and that's something that took me you know it famously put it down for a year after i got to the final boss couldn't do it you put it down it. for a full year wow that's uh, something it was like i would do eight months or something yeah um <laughs> but it was just always in the back of my mind like because it's fun then yeah when i finally sat down it took about a week of you know daily effort to beat that that boss you know to get my skills back and then to beat him but like i didn't care when i died it was like okay i i get to have this fight again and every single time it was fun especially as your proficiency rises you know it's uh well i guess i won't say too much because eventually uh you'll 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 see it for yourself but sure. it's a multi-stage fight and once you sort of can trivialize that the first stage you know the first time you get to the first stage it's like oh my god this is bullshit. what the fuck and eventually it's like, okay, first stage, I didn't take a hit. And like, cool, now I'm set up for the next stage, you know? Yeah, I know that feeling for sure in terms of FromSoft games in general. You know, yeah. it's kind of funny. Um, I have had this moment before, but it's invoked by when you mentioned like, okay, I'm going to get to do this fight again when you die thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I had it recently, actually, with the Godskin Apostle, <laughs> um, where honestly, like, like I had him down to a sliver and... Um, I probably could have finished him and I didn't quite have it in me. And I realized as I died, it was cause I wasn't like, I finally had really good rhythm with the fight mm -hmm. and I wasn't done enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I took him down, cause I was like, okay, I, I do want to move forward in the game. Yeah. But it's funny how um, these boss fights in particular, when they're tough. And then when you start locking into it, mm -hmm. um, how, how like FromSoft can really get you into that point where you're just like, this is so enjoyable. It's the dance. 
I'm now in the dance with this boss. I know their moves. They kind of know mine. Um, and I'm picking away at them. Uh, but occasionally I'll misstep and they'll, they'll catch me. And, you know, uh, that's when you know it, you know, you're going to get it. You just don't necessarily know which attempt it's going to be, but it changes, it changes the whole feel of when you go down. Cause you're like, okay, I'm going to get to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much all I, I have to say about Sekiro at the moment. Um, you know, I, I hope to see a sequel at some point, but if it's just a one-off, I mean, I'd rather see a Bloodborne sequel if, if I had to choose, but sure. Um, but you uh, and everybody would like to see a <laughs> right. sequel. Literally everyone who's played Bloodborne apparently wants a sequel. So, yeah. And I forget, did you, did you buy this and just dip, dip a little in or you no, haven't I haven't had, touched okay. that. Well, I, it, it is the one where I went, I have from soft games. I haven't completed. Um, I mean, shoot. I don't think I completed dark souls remastered. When I don't it think dropped. you had no. So it's like, I have dark souls three. I have bloodborne. I have dark souls. I haven't finished any of them. There's no earthly reason for me to buy another difficult from soft game when I'm yeah. still stuck on three of them. So, yeah. you know, makes sense. But uh, I'll get there. I'll yeah. get there. You know, I look forward to look forward to spectating. Yeah. We'll hash it up. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to hash up the next feature of the show. Then it's time for what I love about Moses. Well, you know, I wanted to uh, kind of go on a little bit of a theme this month, um, or at least for this episode following from from last episode. For last episode, you know, I was talking about what I love about Jesse Shell's lenses and talking about game designers and how they think and talk about games. And um, for this episode, I thought, even though I don't have my copy of the book here, unfortunately, it's in my office. I really should have brought it home yesterday. Um, I want to touch on uh, Raf Koster's theory of fun for game design. Um, it is considered to be like a, a classic in, in game design. It is heavily illustrated by Raf. There's a color version of it that was released not all that long ago and maybe revi revised a little bit, although I don't have the revised version of it. Um, in terms of the copy that I own, but um, it does something, and it, I mean, did something a while back now. I mean, when the the keynote speech that it was based on at the Austin Games Conference was in 2003, and that slide deck is available here. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, in case you want to reference this as we're talking about it, um, make that available to you. And um, cool. what uh, what Raf did, although I don't entirely agree with his analysis, um, but it doesn't make it not useful, is he basically said all games are puzzles. Mm -hmm. And that um, once you have the solving on lock, an oddly good fit in this case, the mm -hmm. games are no longer fun. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, where I kind of diverge from him on this. Uh, because I think that there are different types of enjoyment you can take out of games in different ways. But I do think it's accurate for many games. Like he introduces the concept talking about like a pop cap, cap game and playing it on uh, on a website and getting to the point where he does what you and I refer to as seeing the horizon on the game mm -hmm. or arriving at the horizon on the game in this case of like, okay, I know exactly how this thing is built and it stopped. It, it was really compelling for me to play and then it stopped being compelling for me to play. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he makes the rather expert move of talking about like, okay, let's take this back to tic-tac-toe, hmm. which is like totally fascinating to a, to a six-year-old, right? 
Um, Because a six-year-old doesn't necessarily typically know that it's a completely solved system and that you can stalemate it every time if both players know what they're doing, right? Um, That is just the nature of tic-tac-toe. If you both know how to make the optimized moves, nobody will ever win the game. Right. Um, which Which is arguably boring. But in general, like, he made this move in 2003, a little bit before James Paul G was uh, going to release, um, or maybe around the same time, uh, what video games have to teach us uh, about learning literacy, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure I will touch on at a later date in the podcast. Uh, and coming at it from the designer side um, and developer side, although also as, you know, I think he was in a faculty position by then. I'm not 100% sure. Um because I believe he was uh, at UTA, but um, saying, you know, games are actually about learning. Like the fun of games is actually that like we get into them and we're learning how to solve them mm-hmm. um, and unlocking what type of puzzle they are and 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 what makes them tick. It was like a very different claim to make about what games are and then like how that informs game design makes you think about like, well, what do my players need to learn to enjoy this game? Yeah, and I I think it's probably the same concept being illustrated, but see, I like to look at a game as like a series of choices. And that is, uh, I think, Sid Meier, unless it's Will Wright. Okay. Who famously said that a game, a good game is a series of interesting choices. But like, that's not necessarily different from a puzzle either. Like, you are making a choice to try a. A certain like a Rubik's cube, you are you are you have many choices when it comes to, uh, unless again you know the most efficient way, and then it's sort of pre-written. But maybe a Rubik's cube is a, a poor example there. But, um, but is there is there any difference between it being a series of choices, uh, or it being a puzzle, or or is there something that one illustrates that the other maybe doesn't, uh, or is it purely semantic? I. I think you can make the argument in both directions. I would actually defer back to Shell's concept of lenses in relation to these two, even though these aren't lenses per se. Um, but they are, because of the semantic difference, they wind up, like whether as a as a player uh, or as a designer, they wind up being very different ways to, to think about what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, choices are are broader to me. And thinking about like when you think about games as series of choices, um, this is this is a much broader way of framing what a game is or could be. Um, in a very real sense, a game as a series of choices um, is more amenable to a railroad game, not one where you're actually making trains, one that's railroading the player. Um, even though the choice array is like massively limited, it's like how you choose, how you walk down the path as opposed to which paths you take. Yeah. Um, whereas if games are puzzles and your game is just a straight path, then you're like, is this even a game? Yeah. Right. Cause there's nothing to solve. Mm-hmm. Essentially. There's no pattern. Uh, there's no pattern to learn. There's just a path to traverse. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, you know, so and I'm not saying that like that Coster's theory inherently puts um, a Firewatch or an Edith Finch or whatever outside of being a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to ask him. Um, and 
you know, and, and there is an art, there's a framing where you can talk about stuff as digital media or interactive media as a bigger umbrella category to help distinguish between like, Hey, we should talk about this as a game because of its design elements, but this over here, we can talk about as a piece of say interactive fiction, um, because it doesn't have the same set of design elements. Now for me, I prefer to think about them all as games, mm -hmm. but like, is it semantic? Maybe. And it depends on what the point of the conversation you're having is, you know? Absolutely. Um, but in general, yeah, games are games are games. Like you don't necessarily have to categorize them uh, again, unless it's some sort of intellectual pursuit or something. Like in a sense, you can think about what we do in game ranking and with several other features that we engage in regularly on the pod as, as, as game critique, you know? Um, that we're kind of quasi adopting the role of critics in a very like personal way. It, I don't think it's actually a great way to frame what we do on this podcast, uh, but it's useful enough for the point I'm trying to make, which is that when you're in uh, an, an activity of critique, I think it's far less useful to narrow your scope this way in terms of yeah. the terms you're using and just say, hey, these are all games. So let's just talk about them all as games. And then we can talk about what makes them good, bad, experiences for us individually, or even to the extent that we can extract uh, design qualities that we can make a more objective claim about, theoretically yeah. more objective claim about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but even in that context, I think the idea of, you know, I hate fun when talking about game design. I have no problem with it when talking about gameplay. Hmm. Like, because fun is so deeply, deeply subjective. So as a designer, I don't really like thinking about it in terms of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of more, you know, I mentioned this a while back when we were talking about those uh, those four dimensions of play. Um, but I think that uh, as a player, it's fine. It was this fun for you, right? Mm -hmm. And um, And I think that the idea that you can link what your learning experience with the game was to how fun it was for you and what types of learning experiences you enjoy are what types of play experiences you enjoy in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, like certainly it informs how you've related your experience with Tunic to me. Yeah, no doubt. And with with that being, you know, a, a puzzle, a puzzle game a, a, and a, a meta puzzles and, you know, really having to be diligent in, in your observations. Um, and the the great amount of fun that 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 brought me. Exactly. That's why it like just came to mind in this context. I was just thinking about like that whole layer of the game. Like mm -hmm. clearly, your you enjoyed learning this mm -hmm. language and set of puzzles that were um, overlaid onto what at first presents as you know just a uh, um, action adventure mm -hmm. type. Yeah. Nice. Um... Yeah. Cool. Any final thoughts on on that before we move on? I would just say that if you're listening and you're curious about this, uh, you can just search Theory of Fun, mm -hmm. and it will take you to both uh, Raf's website um, for the book, which has some some resources, including the slide deck from the original presentation, so you could get kind of just a taste of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's also super easy to find the book. It's a short, uh, easy read. And, um, you know, I honestly recommend it to people even who aren't like super into games, uh, mm -hmm. just because it kind of helps you think about stuff, uh, helps you think about experiences and, uh, and play in a, in a slightly different way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, for me this week, um, what I love 
about Yakuza Zero is the setting and the visuals. But uh, what I wanted to do is try and examine because I I don't I don't fully understand my perspective on this yet. But what I've noticed is with the newest Yakuza game, you know, it's called Judgment, but it effectively it is a Yakuza style game set in Kamurocho, wandering around third person, you know, um, looking looking through the city and stuff. Uh, the visual design of Kamurocho is so much more appealing and parsable to me than Kamurocho in this modern game. Like Yakuza Zero came out, I don't know, eight years ago, six seven years ago. I meant to ask this earlier. Is it, is it a remaster that you've been? No, it's so it's you know running on the PS5. I, I don't think they upres it or anything. Yeah, so it's probably um, not even upres. But it's just that thing of like it just runs great on the PS5, of course. Well, it runs great, and my my foothold of a theory, at least, is that it is down to the resolution mm. uh, that is applied. I, I think Yakuza Judgment is doing fancier effects, um, but it. Uh, it, I think is at a lower resolution, and it's just far less crisp and and colorful. And I I have a really great time walking around in Yakuza Zero, and less of a good time in in Judgment. Even though again, it's the same engine, the same type of game. The engine I'm sure is even more advanced than it was when they made Yakuza Zero. Um, and I also think it could be a budgetary thing, like there seems to be more detail and more vibrancy like in yakuza zero you see couples holding hands like walking around and there's more of a dense denseness to the population and nobody's holding hands in judgment i don't know if the world has just gotten a little meaner since then um <laughs> but i feel i feel like i'm looking at the world in judgment through uh, a lens Whereas in Yakuza Zero, I feel like I am just getting the straight, the straight feed right into my eyeballs, and I wanted to bring huh. this up and then really uh, have you spectate, and I will switch between them, and then we can maybe tease yeah. that out a little more. Yeah, and come back to this in the next episode. I like that idea a lot, yeah. um, so that I can like, you know, are you just seeing it be based on yeah uh, your style, preference, taste, or is there something that we can like actually pin down in some kinds of details about the visual style and or other aspects of render uh, or movement in the game? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think maybe we'll make this a two parter, uh, or or is it just because of the Don Quixote uh, convenience store is long gone uh, after the events of Yakuza Zero? <laughs> and you know it's got that catchy jingle and you just want to go in there and want to go in there and like assign your skills so you have this nice music to listen to while you while you do that in the menu right and i mean so yeah like like at a broader level of world design that is not attributable to uh some of these kind of more more specific details that's a really interesting question yeah um so yeah sometime in the coming week here we'll we'll have to hop in and we can we can take a look most definitely uh, but for now, we're going to take a look at the next feature of the show. It's time for Tell Me About. Moses, this week, I would like it if you could tell me uh, if you could instantly gain mastery of a single martial weapon. What weapon would it be? Wow. Interesting question. Um, and we're 
we're talking about like um like martial weapons we're not we're not talking about firearms here um right i actually yeah that doesn't take too much for me which is good because we spent a lot of time on some other topics in this episode <laughs> uh and we have a little bit yet to come i think i would go with the bow staff i was i didn't want to guess i didn't want to yeah but that would have been my guess I should have had been like, well, Paul, why don't you take a guess and write it down and then show it to me after I tell you? Yeah. Um, well, I will ask you, why do you think uh, the bow staff is, in fact, mm. w- w- when I'm put to this question, uh, what I arrive at? You there are a few like, reasons. You seem like more of a, a open palm versus closed fist uh, type individual. And I, th- I don't think bladed weapons are quite your style. Um, I mean, fuck, everybody loves swords, but the reality yeah. of them. Um, uh, and I just saw, you know, I, I have this, uh, concept in my head, which may or may not be accurate. It's not really based on anything that a bow is a more defensive style weapon. Um, and it just, it goes with, uh, goes with your vibes more than really anything else. I dig it. Those are all good reasons. And they're the, the first one that like pushed me in this direction, um, is actually the first thing you hit. It's like, yeah, no, I'm I'm just more of a Donatello than a Leonardo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the lethality of bladed weapons, if we're talking about something that I'm mastering so that I could have the ability to use it in real life if I needed to, right? Um, like swords are super fucking cool, but if I were in a martial combat situation, I wouldn't want my choices being to devastatingly injure or kill somebody. Um or just be defensive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that just doesn't seem like a good situation to me at all, as much as like, oh yeah, the katana, that would be super fucking cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Um, but the reality of it is that if I were ever in a situation in in real life where I needed to uh, defend myself uh, or offend, um, having a blunt weapon, you know, bludgeoning uh, weapon to put it in there, you know, Dungeons and Dragons terms, mm-hmm. um, definitely gives me more versatility like hey if i'm if it's life and death and i need to kill somebody with it absolutely you can definitely kill somebody with a bow staff you can crush their windpipe whatever mm-hmm. um but it does have range you can keep people with a little bit more range with it potentially um and you can do a lot of disabling things with it that mm-hmm. are not deadly so yeah there you go fun question right. i like it nice well paul i've got uh, what is hopefully relatively short, tell me about for you as well. And this is kind of inspired by my playing of Chicken Police. Um, tell me about your tolerance for uh, for dialogue, for spoken dialogue in a game. Like how much and or what other like key factor will make you actually listen to the spoken dialogue in a game? Um, you know, is it just a question of how much talking there is? Uh, like, you know, tell me about it. Yeah. Um... In general, I, you know, I welcome it. Um, and actually, Yakuza is a good sort of uh, lens to look at that through because uh, I will, depending on how long my play session has been going or how wordy this part of the game is, I may skip through it and just like read, um, you know, read it advance read advance and not wait for them to to fully get get their you know their sentence out um i think uh disco elysium is another good example where the voice acting in that is so top-notch that 
even though I've heard some of the things before and I've already read through it before they could. Or what I'll actually do is I, I'll just look at the scenery in the game. I won't even read what they're reading. And then I will just listen, you know, for the first time as as it's narrated or, or read to me. Um, but uh, also there are games where it's like, no, just just skip. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not here for the story. Um, you know, what I really don't like is uh, the whole trope of finding little voice recordings of people huh, okay. that have been left around. It worked really well in Bioshock. Uh, mm -hmm. It was kind of the first time and yeah. it sort of made sense. But give me that information some other way that is not completely implausible, please. Like, right. I no it actually fit the setting for Bioshock. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I do have to go back to Bioshock. I've progressed so much as a gamer. I know I could actually just beat that game on normal at this point and probably enjoy it. And um, it's a, it's an important game. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, like given the setting of Bioshock, it was, it was just plausible enough. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, right find, on. find a better way or, you know, or at least don't, and I don't think many games do this, but when they trap you in the menu to listen to it and you can't even walk around during, it's like, come on. I'm trying to remember what did that, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally unacceptable. And then, you know, some of my favorite gaming related stuff ever is the spoken dialogue, like the Metal Gear Solid, you know, uh, story and the voice acting and, you know, uh, sure, I've given up my goal to memorize all 10 hours of of the script but uh yeah I, but, that was know. just a few episodes back <laughs> <laughs> the, the trick wow. is to not things have changed a lot between now and late october early november <laughs> right. you, sh uh, you don't tell people the cool thing you're gonna do and <laughs> you won't do it you gotta, you gotta do it in secret which is what i'm yeah. doing now i have a new secret memorization project well which... excellent who knows maybe it'll lay the groundwork for you to come back to that one yeah Right on. Yeah, Chicken Police has a tremendous amount of dialogue. The voice acting is good. Occasionally, I find myself skipping it, though, because I'm like, okay, okay, guys. Like, so much of it is color. So much of it is, yeah. like, creating the noir slash comedic effect that it's like, sometimes I really wish I could just read these moments. But, you know, it made me uh, think about it. It made me want to ask you ask you what your perspective on that, uh, that yeah. particular feature is. Very good. Uh, well, we will push ahead then into the next feature of the show. And wouldn't you know it, Moses, it's time for Paul and Moses with your baseball updates. Stay with me, Moses. Baseball is, is back. back. Heck yeah, yeah, that was much smoother than we tried, tried that uh, last <laughs> yeah. time. But that's because baseball was not back. Right. <laughs> uh, but it is back and we've had, you know, it's uh, Friday when we record this. So the season's actually, uh, you know, the, the main part of the season's winding down, moving into the playoffs here shortly. But uh, I'll yeah, tell you from had... the tacos, Julia Skidder is on the mound right now trying to close out a game against the Boston Flowers. Okay, well, and uh, Magic recently has joined uh, the tacos in party time. They are eliminated from playoff contention oh yeah oh no I, I, I magic very predictably lost to the wild wings in their last game i think this yeah. is the last game of the day last game of the season um it's 
but man, the Wild Wings have been so unstoppable. It's just been absolutely bonkers. But I feel like I just jumped us ahead a little bit too far. Maybe let's take a step back. Yeah. So it's when they said it's not ready. Well, okay. So the app got delayed. Uh, which the app got delayed. Like, well, whatever. Like they've said before that, okay, the web thing doesn't work too well on phones, but it always did. But oh man, it's bad on phones. Yeah. I don't know if you still haven't looked yet, but I still haven't it's... looked, but I can see why it would be bad on phones because there's nothing about the site that looks like it's mobile uh, uh, friendly or responsive in design. No, it's not. And you have to like scroll to the other side of the screen by like highlighting text and like sliding it over Ooh. and like, Ooh. yeah. Uh, which I mean, fair enough. It's not meant for, for mobile and, and they, they were outright with that. Um, but it works well enough. And you know, I did spend the first day, uh, uh, Monday there, I was at work, but I've got my double monitors. And even though uh, I, it's all too easily trackable and I know I shouldn't, I, I watched uh, a lot of baseball that day. Yeah. Um, and it's extremely bare bones and, and back down to square one, but at its core, it is a sim, it is running and it is baseball and it's, it's great. It's pretty awesome. Uh, you and I actually got a chance to watch a couple games this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've now basically like tripled the number of uh, of baseball games that we've watched together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we did not get a chance to see our, our teams play each other this week, but that's okay. Um, it's been an interesting week in baseball. Um, as I mentioned to you yesterday, there is a kind of pleasant frustration about baseball on this release mm-hmm. in that... Um, it is very, very stripped down. Yeah. And on the plus side, um, the uh, browser web, uh, the browser um, version of, of Blazeball runs extremely well right now. Yeah. Like it runs so smoothly. It is so, we both encountered a tiny glitch trying to place a bet on the last game of the day today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's literally the only glitch I have encountered on the site this entire time. Um, and it's fantastic. On the minus side, there are a couple of UI features that I think we can expect soon. Yeah. that um, are just quality of life things, like being able to smoothly switch between placing your bets and um, watching a game or seeing what bets you've placed on games while you're in watch. I did notice that um, actually I was uh, on the bet placing screen. And I could have sworn the button was not there before that then appeared there, that a watch live button like appeared when okay. uh, when we hit yeah. 12 o'clock. So maybe I just wasn't there at the right time placing bets when there were live games, but it does seem like, you know, that was already kind of a piece that that seems to have been added uh, or I just hadn't noticed it, Um, but it's good. Either way, it's very good. Um, The, you know, there's no weather yet. The weather has just been horizon for everybody so far, Mm -hmm. um, which seems to have no impact on the game. And um, I don't know, from what I can tell the mechanics of the game, not the mechanics, the team, are still not entirely uh, are, are not entirely understood, well understood, like player stats. Um, I saw some yeah. chat from some tacos that seemed to indicate that uh, player stats, apart from Thwack, um, which is persistent from before, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so that's, to me, that's actually something to be excited about. Like, hey, we yeah. don't actually understand the game yet. Cool. Yeah. So that might make strategizing hard. Um, it uh it makes like the future ahead really interesting of like hey we have no idea yeah and the the mystery of it and unraveling that and 
you know, how much of the forbidden knowledge are you going to uh, look at? For me, it's, I'll, I'll look at just about anything, you know, if it comes my way. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, heading into the weekend here with playoffs, the Wild Wings are are on fire, 78 and 12 record, which is uh, pretty wild. Uh, and um, I That's do like- crazy. That's really crazy. Yeah, you got to wonder what's going on beneath the hood there. Um, I knew it was good. I didn't realize it was that good. Yeah, they've uh, you know built in uh, some functionality with certain like Twitter accounts and and stuff that they'll update on the the messages feed. There is still a lot of uh, you know side stuff that happens seemingly only on Twitter, and I'm debating whether or not it's worth me looking at Twitter. Or if I should just uh, ignore that uh, for for now, um, but we'll see. Um, another new thing is the timing, or the you know how they're going to handle off seasons. So it'll be one week on, one week off. Which uh, initially I was I was kind of disappointed, um, and still like come Monday morning when there's no baseball, I'm still going to be like, oh, I wish there was baseball. But um, <laughs> I think it's good, you know, giving you kind of time to digest. Uh, what has happened, strategize, and I wouldn't be surprised if they put in like sort of idle games or activities uh, that the teams can do during during the off season as well. I'm expecting, even it might be light this first week. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, one thing that is very evident based off of prior baseball, um, including like why the heck would they have run the short circuits? Obviously there was some degree, uh, no, I don't think the short circuits weren't stress testing. It wasn't the new engine yet. I don't think, I don't think it was no. So, um, so they were tweaking and playing with some mechanics that we haven't seen anything of yet. So like, um, it's going to do it again. It's a new era. And so it starts with a clean slate and yeah. I'm guessing that when Blazeball first rolled out, it was probably something like this in terms of being pretty minimalist as far as stuff that was going on in the simulation. Yeah. Um, given the, you know, expressed need of the pandemic uh, upending baseball and baseball right. being originally designed to meet that need, even though now, of course, it scoops up a bunch of people like us who would not normally be watching actual baseball. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I think uh, the one other topic that I wanted to make sure we touch on um, is the question of uh, decrees. Yeah. And uh, and I saw someone point this out. The three decrees uh, that we have are. So we have uh, redistribute wealth, which takes uh, the winning team and gives all their players away to other teams and then gives them a new team, uh, which sounds wonderful and horrible uh and i i do not want uh and then there is a relegation which does kind of the opposite uh the worst team gets a, a brand new team just gets then, a brand new team uh we also have open the forbidden book which was a choice given at the end of the uh, you know old season one book, of baseball book, and we book, all know how that book, book, went book. there's no way the book is not getting opened the book's uh, getting opened um i i didn't clear this with the uh with the tacos folks so i'm not going to read what somebody wrote um over on our uh on our channel for uh for voting mm -hmm. um it might have been the voting channel it might have been the strap bulks channel um but somebody narrated it from the perspective of the book and why the book is badass um 
And just from a probability perspective, the numbers it is likely to get and why it will decimate everybody else. And so there's no point in resisting. Yeah. And I fucking was dying. I was like, this really makes the case because people are like kind of saying like, oh, I don't know. I feel about this or that. And it's kind of like, no, the book is going to happen. The chances of like the playership not opening the book. So it then becomes a question for your team of how many votes you want to bother dumping into it given yeah. that you still kind of, if you want it, you still kind of want to assure it, but then, hey, you've only got a limited number of votes and, um, you know, you've got your blessings to be concerned with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, someone pointed out the the visual design of the three decrees, which I thought was interesting. So redistribute the wealth, uh, they were saying represents the coin. Oh, which yeah. Okay. Those chips certainly look like coins. Uh, yeah. uh, relegation is... Uh, Lot critiques, because of, of course. The, the boxes, of with course, the baseball logo, and then uh, the the reader is the reader the Forbidden Book because of the eyeball. So you're actually kind of voting for a god. Uh, it seems like it. Sure yeah. seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, well, that's another reason not to vote for redistribute wealth, as far as I'm concerned. Totally, totally, yeah. Cause uh, fuck the coin. Yeah. So will they be back? I'm sure they'll be back, but fuck yeah. the coin anyway. Um, I guess the only other question I've got for you um, is whether you plan on hanging on to some of said coin uh, or just converting it all into votes. I'm going to hang on to, to some of it. Um, so I'm currently sitting at 2,700 coins and 151 votes. Uh, you were much more consistent and maybe a little more efficient in your betting than I was. I, I was a little inconsistent this week. I'm sitting at 1520 coin. Okay. So I think I might I might save like a thousand of it. Cause I'm like, what if they bring the shot back the next week? I'm going to want, you know, I'm going to want yeah. hamburger. Yeah. With less coin uh, at my disposal, I'm probably going to spend a thousand of it. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of somewhat similar, but yeah, I was thinking I want to save a little bit cause you have no idea what's going to kind of come. I would bet that if they bring the shop back next week, um, that they will give us all a little coin yeah um so that nobody's left being like oh damn i burned it all on votes right yeah uh the other thing i wanted to mention uh that i wanted to shout out uh because i'm loving it is the extra bits of uh description on the the play uh oh god yeah no with, it's so evident how much deeper the simulation is yeah with with hits you know be like so and so smacks it to left field you know abbott right my player rushes in mm -hmm. you know can or cannot make the catch uh or they'll be like, I've seen a few disgusting pitches uh, yeah. thrown. Uh, I've seen some weak hits, you know. Um, Is disgusting a good or bad adjective in baseball? You know, it was, it ended up being a strike. So I don't know. Might be <laughs> disgusting in the good sense. Yeah. Uh, and it really helps you paint that picture in your mind uh, a little bit more. Um Absolutely. And I'm sure it's all running off of actual, like this player is in this part of the field and their stats are this, and that's why this did or didn't happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, it is so good to have baseball back. Yeah. And yeah, we'll, we'll have the playoffs uh, starting here in a little over an hour, I believe, uh, or a little over two hours. And, uh, you know, I, I might tune into that. I might try and watch uh, Joey, Joey T. Badger. I'm sure he'll be commentating oh, nice. on, on that. Um, I'm actually headed... Uh, to Princeton for a little while, but I'll be back this evening. So if you're uh, watching baseball, let me know. We can watch watch some playoffs together, maybe. Yeah, we'll do most definitely. If I'm not 
you know, just trying to traverse more Elden Ring. Yeah. Uh, but I'm guessing for now that will uh, take us forward in the show. Because it is time for Make My Game. Coming this week from Frost Petal Interactive is the game Revolt of Betrayal. Revolt of Betrayal. Betrayal that has revolted. Hmm. Um, I mean, it would be a working title, if anything. Yeah, I get kind of a Crusader Kingsy kind of vibe, but um, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna veto this one so you can get something a little more. It feels a little too nonsense. The words don't play well with each other. Yeah. Uh, we also have angel signs. One word. Uh, I like a little better. No, two words. Okay. I'm down. Let's do angel okay. signs. Yeah. Cross pedal interactive. We've got angel signs. Um, angel signs is ultimately a game about oilerizing pathways. It is a game about getting people where they need to go. Uh, but the people are angels. And Did you, you are polarizing. E U L E R um is a, a math term for finding the most efficient route. Is that to do with Euler's disc or did Euler Same guy with yeah, okay. Asshole came up with a ton of shit. He was an asshole? No, I'm just being a jerk about it. There was an XKCD comic <laughs> about this recently where it was like, can't we call it some something else? It's like Euler has so many things already. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, there's a lot of things named after him. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, my my pitch here is that uh, the signs and the angels in this case, you are responsible for signage. It's a game about creating and placing signs to get angels where they need to go. Okay. And is there a particular scale that we're at, or does it run from mass transit question. all the way down to? individual alleyway directions that's a good question um you know what is the environment i you know i i'm throwing the pitch out here without considering what the environment is that said angels need to traverse or even what they're trying to do yeah um and those are both really important questions to determine uh what this game could actually wind up looking like yeah um maybe you don't maybe it starts off incredibly macro and you are looking at a, a cosmos and there is a flood of billions of, of celestial beings. And maybe you don't know what the signs exactly mean. You put one down oh, and like then it. the two paths diverge and you're like, okay, now I know this sorts this and this sorts that, but like maybe you still don't have the full picture. I like this a lot. Essentially we're um, getting into a game that is um, a little Baba is you esque. Mm -hmm. In the sense that, like, it's less literal about being about programming, but it is kind of about being about programming in the, um, in the sense of, like, you're unpacking these symbols and trying to figure out what the code is that, that each one carries and what it's directing uh, operationally for, um, you know, for these essentially, um, like, AIs to do, right? Um, they're computing, little computers. And, and each of them needs directions, uh, but they have some config in them already in terms of how they're going to respond to different inputs. But really, we're talking about a game that on some level is um, kind of that, like Baba as you, is kind of a meta input-output um, yeah. type play experience. Although I think it will be more approachable um, <laughs> than Baba is you. 
Yeah, maybe you maybe you see they have a symbol on them that represents their ultimate destination, and you know where that is uh, in in the space, but you don't know. Yeah, how to get them there, right? Yeah. So it's a little a little mini metro in the early stage, um, and that could yeah. maybe carry on later on where you're going to have to get into sequences of directions, right, of placements and directions um that you're that you're giving to your celestials to uh to get them to to their desired destination um and maybe there's like optimal and suboptimal outcomes rather than it just being a binary for where they land so that could make your level conclusion a little bit more interesting than just hey you got 95 percent right um mm -hmm. it's more like you know X portion of them got exactly where they needed to, to, to go, you know, and then there's a bunch of middle categories that are of various degrees of, uh, of, um, you know, good or bad outcome. Um, and then, you know, some kind of a one or more categories of like, well, this is not good. Mm -hmm. They were consumed by the eternal mall or, you know, whatever. Um, you, you get them so lost that they're like, that they're, that they're lost. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I really like the idea, especially like, yeah, starting out at kind of a cosmic layer, but I don't think that the game, you know, what it kind of has me thinking about is um, kind of reminds me a bit of Sins of a Solar Empire. Ah, uh, yes. Where on the one hand, um, play starts out very macro and, you know, you're sending things across the galaxy, right? But then as you get deeper into the game, you have to do uh, at least two levels down of more micro scale management of uh, of what's going on. But in our case, instead of it being combat, uh, we could have kind of these nested levels of having to get into a more, uh, you know, kind of smaller uh, environs in which you're going to be doing your sign placement. Yeah. Um, and then like the types of signs that you're using in the different scales are different. Um, but they're related. So you can make some pretty strong inferences about like, hey, now that you're at this new scale that you hadn't had to deal with previously, mm -hmm. you've got this sign that looks an awful lot like the one that you were using up top. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not exactly the same, but you can make a pretty good guess. But then every once in a while, the game throws you a curveball where it's like, oh, you know what was actually important about this sign was like the color instead of the pattern so really, I should have been paying more attention for this style of sign to how it aligned with color from the signs on the previous level. Yeah. Um, and I mean, needless to say, from an accessibility standpoint, um, there's a lot of things to address when I just introduced color as a key thing for people determining mm -hmm. uh, their choices. Um, but, you know, a little bit of, uh, of smart design thinking and you can manage other ways of signifying stuff alongside uh uh, you know just just color so um i don't know i think that would be really cool though right yeah. like um you know the second phase you're like from you can zoom in uh outside of that like galactic level down to like a system level mm -hmm. right yeah. um but uh you know but you get at least one level down from that for sure yeah but like a planetary level or something like that yeah for sure um, and needless to say, we're like talking about this in terms of like, you know, physical space. Right. Um, there'd be a lot of room to stretch with this uh, with this game concept to uh, make the spaces um, a little a little bit less literal potentially. Yeah. 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 I think we've got got some good bones there. Yeah. Uh, so for this week from Frostpedal Interactive, it's Angel Signs.
bringing us to the final bit of the show here, Moses. Um, any final thoughts before we sign off for the week? Looking forward to, uh, you know, postseason and finding out what baseball brings us. But that's the uh, only thing on my mind at the moment. Yeah. Sunday. Forbidden book. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. Let's open the book. Let's do it, open people. that book. Cool. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Thanks, as always, for being here with us this afternoon. Yeah. As always, a pleasure. And thanks, everyone out there for listening to this week's episode <laughs> of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.